Our second discussant is Cindy Huang. Cindy is Senior Policy Fellow at the Center for Global Development. It's a pleasure to welcome you back to Cindy. Hello, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here to talk about a topic that I feel I'm really passionate about. So just as a bit of background, um, I'm, as Rajul mentioned, a senior policy fellow at the Center for Global Development. And for about the last year and a half, I have been working um, precisely around ideas about how we can generate a win-win solution um, in the context of the Rohingya crisis. So it's a real pleasure to be here. And I have been uh, tracking this work and hearing about the surveys for a while. So it's really great to, to see the results. Um, so a couple of things. So first, I just want to emphasize what Ruth said, that just this is such an important contribution. And I find, because I, I've studied in the past the transition from kind of humanitarian to development approaches, and we all know it's a continuum, but I found that there is increasing momentum around conducting this kind of rigorous survey work, um, you know, kind of earlier in terms of when the crisis starts. And I think that's really promising because I think that gives us an evidence base to work from that is so um, essential. And then I also want to acknowledge the sensitivities that others have referenced and, um, and, and really upfront to acknowledge the immense global public good that Bangladesh is providing by hosting this million plus refugees. You know, we see in global politics today that much smaller numbers of refugees can really um, create quite a backlash. So I think that's really important to say up front. And any of the ideas I present are just trying to kind of reach that next level of, of benefit for refugees and the host community. Um, so. I had just two sets of comments. One was on the, the, the great work on the labor market. And so just one of the questions, which I hope will come up in the discussion, is kind of what information, um, to get deeper into some of these effects, you know, in terms of the work among refugees, how much of that potentially was cash for work within the camps? How much of that is the small shops that we see? I've been to um, Cox's Bazaar twice, and I'm leaving for a third trip on Friday. So you see a lot of entrepreneurial activity in the camps. How much of it is that? And then how much of it is work um, potentially outside of camps? And as was mentioned, that's not kind of officially permitted, but we know in many contexts that does happen. And a paper that I recently wrote with Michael Clemens and Jimmy Graham did a review of this evidence. And one of the conclusions was around the fact that many governments, in trying to restrict work, they are trying to prevent outcomes that, that kind of limiting the work force, um, the refugees' work, actually leads to those unintended consequences. So I think that comes quite <laughs> clearly through in the simulation that was done, that if you kind of restrict refugees to a very limited geographic area and they're not officially permitted to work that can have the effect of driving down wages. So I think that's um, it's, it's really important an important finding of the simulation. And then another question that I had was um, there was some reference to the likely substitutability of the refugee versus host community labor. So I think that's worth exploring a bit more and it potentially you gathered some of this evidence during the survey. So I think just getting to the next level of discussion on that would be really helpful. 
but I wanted to spend the remainder of my time talking about these potential win-wins. And so apologies for a little bit of self-promotion, but we've written a couple of briefs on the opportunities there. So one is a paper on toward medium-term solutions for Rohingya refugees and hosts in Bangladesh. And here we talk about the number building on the Jordan model, um, recognizing the unique context in Bangladesh. What are the kinds of contributions the international community could make in recognition of the global public good that's being provided? So we've talked about the need for private investment. We also talk about um, potential labor mobility opportunities, which, as you know, uh, remittances are a really important source of income in Bangladesh. So are there some countries which have committed to help in this situation? Could they? offer um, greater labor mobility opportunities for host communities in the Cox's Bazaar area. We've also written a bit about trade concessions. As many of you know, Bangladesh has reached the really important benchmark of being about to graduate from least developed country status. And so are there some um, trade opportunities as well? And then finally, we talk about the opportunity for reforestation. And that could link to some livelihoods opportunities for refugees and hosts. And so we've written a brief with um, BRAC and the Nature Conservancy around opportunities. Because when the new influx of refugees came, there was significant new deforestation in the area. So I think it's really important to think think creatively and at the same time recognize that I think answering some of the sensitivities that Paul mentioned, you know, in, in other contexts, this has not meant that we believe refugees should stay in the area. Of course, the first and best solution is voluntary, safe, and dignified return to Myanmar. But in the absence of that, are there ways to promote sustainable future return by investing in the populations, um, both again, both refugees and host communities today? So thank you so much.